Welcome back to The Remote Life. My name is Han Talbot, also known as Han Meets World, and today we'll be chatting with Darcy Marie Bowles. A future of work thought leader and remote work experience designer, Darcy serves as a consultant at Shift with Darcy Marie for startups that are looking to build profitable, connected and sustainable remote first cultures. In this episode, we talk about Darcy's consultation work and why companies might want to consider a leader for remote development, as well as what it means for individuals to remote work and the choice to do so. So grab a coffee, a tea or something stronger and let's get started. Okay, so we're back live on the Remote Life podcast. Darcy, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. How are you? Doing very good. Thank you. Um, I saw you at Grow Remote. How was that? It was awesome. It was my first time to Ireland and it was an amazing conference. Really cool to see kind of the governmental push and policymaker push behind remote work from a country perspective, which was really obviously attractive to me as a remote worker and somebody who works with remote companies. So that was amazing. And now I've popped up to visit a friend in Northern Ireland that I've never been here. So I'm going to get a surf in this afternoon and enjoy the beautiful, crazy weather that they're having. That sounds amazing. Not the weather, but the surf. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. So I'm excited to follow along your adventures on that. So why don't we kick things off and you tell us about your remote life journey and yourself and everything so far. Yeah, absolutely. So my remote life journey, oh my gosh, I want to say it started when I was like two years old. <laughs> I think that's what happens for a lot of digital nomads seem to say that. Like, actually, if I really think about it, uh, it actually started when I was young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when I was 21, um, this will probably date myself a little bit, but it was 2010 and I went on a around the world trip um, with just a backpack to 35 different countries. And at the time, it was still hard to even find an internet cafe. And so I kept thinking to myself, how could I do this forever? Like, how could I continue traveling forever, but also being able to afford my lifestyle? Because at the time, what I had to do was work at a bar or a cafe for six months, save everything up, go travel, vice versa, find a place, work, go travel. And there was no integration of being able to kind of travel and work. And so Long story short, I came back from traveling in 2014 and I got a job at Airbnb. Um, But unfortunately, at the time, I had to be in the office, even though we were a global company. So I stayed for about four years and left at the point where it kind of became very clear that unless I were to move to San Francisco, my career just wasn't going to be at the place that I wanted it to be. And so I moved to a very, very rural area. And that's when I started really diving into remote work. It was late 2017. And there were very few remote companies at the time. And I found this amazing tech company that was fully remote and ended up getting a role there. And that's kind of when my life changed forever and started to see the success of how a remote company, how successful we could be, how diverse we could be, how much I could learn how different it was to be working as a remote worker in a fully remote company than it was in an office first company. And that's where my passion really just spawned from. And now I'm so passionate about not only helping remote workers kind of design their life, but helping companies design their operating rhythm. So it's a win-win for both employers and employees. That's really awesome. I love how everybody kind of has this version of, I did this thing and then I need to figure out a way to make it full-time and permanent. I think that's, <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be a story for a lot of us. So that's really awesome. Yeah. That must have been in that was an amazing experience working with Airbnb back then as well, like during this sort of development period of like what we now know as remote life and digital nomadism. So that's really cool. Yeah. So tell us more about your consultation work and like why companies maybe ought to consider a leader specifically for 
remote? Because you've been the director of remote for a couple companies, right? Yeah. What does that mean? And why should companies consider that? Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're in a time right now where remote work is a dirty word to a lot of companies, and there's a lot of different definitions of rem- what remote can mean for a bunch of different companies. Like, I could ask 15 different founders from 15 different industries right now what remote work means to them, and I'm going to get 15 different answers. And so I think number one is really having somebody there who's been in this space for a long time or who really understands what remote work could mean for them to help them define what it means. And and I go through this with a lot of founders and a lot of clients that I work with, and it's important to sort of have a shepherd in this process. I get called a remote work therapist a lot, which is weird, Um, but partially because founders will will think that they need to do remote work a certain way. And I think that that's a misconception. They can do remote work in whatever way it's going to work for them and whatever way they're willing to invest in it. And I think initially, you know, you wouldn't start a company and build an office without a contractor, without an architect, without a designer, without, you know, safety measures, right? It's the same thing with remote work. You wouldn't just go remote without a strategy, without a design, without thinking intentionally about how this is going to work in support of your product, in support of your profits, in support of your employees, in support of your customers. And so there's sort of this in-between in bringing people along on this journey and supporting them and saying, you don't have to use the exact same blueprint as your competitor did. You don't have to do this the exact same way, but let's figure out a way that works for you, works for your belief systems, works for your product, works for your industry, and really thinking through that as a strategy so you're doing it in a way that's supportive for everyone versus just throwing everyone in the fire or building an office without a foundation and then it just blows down. I think that's such a good point. I think also the whole, yeah, you can say the word remote or remote work and yeah, people have 15 different versions of it from a person on their back on the beach with their laptop to somebody, you know, on a train and like doing their emails or whatever it is. So, or, you know, as a lot of people like to point out, it's not about just being somebody who travels and works at the same time No, as well. It can be, well, it can be anything. How you touched upon misconceptions already, but what is one of the biggest mis- misconceptions that you see from companies when it comes to this sort of space? I think number one, the, a huge misconception is that connection has to be made in person. And mm. while I don't disagree with that in some forms, I think that there's a deep misconception that connection can only be made in person. And I would fight that argument kind of till the death. Like I have seen connection be made with some of the deepest connections globally via Zoom just because of the way those sessions or those meetings are strategized, the way that they're set up, the Mm -hmm. way that they're conducted. And that's part of my role as a remote work engagement consultant is helping companies understand that you don't have to fly people together to get deep connection. Yes, it is important to do at times, but that is not the only way we can create connection. And that is a huge misconception that I see. That's really awesome. I love that you touched upon that. Because I think having worked in a few contracts myself where people have tried to replicate, for example, like water cooler conversation time um, in like, say, Slack, for example, or, you know, they tried to reconnect like really create the sort of and it's it's been a, a growing conversation I've seen about 
the fact that people want to still be able to connect and as humans we are still social beings what is sort of one way that you would straight away say to say a remote founder or somebody who was wanting to expand their remote offering how would you what's one way that you would say this is great for helping your employees to connect yeah. I mean, again, I'm going to bring it back down to the architecture. And with remote work, it really comes down to, I would say, you know, remote work is made out of a three-legged chair. It's culture. <laughs> so that's everything you do as a company. It's how you work. It's communication, how that culture is communicated, and it's technology, where that culture and communication is held. So I think it really comes down to what is the technology you're using and how are you creating swim lanes in terms of words making worlds. So just like you'd walk into an office, you might know that the marketing team sits at a certain space or the water coolers mm-hmm. at a certain space or people are bringing their dogs to work and they all meet outside for a coffee, whatever that might be. Starting to think about the shared experiences and shared interests of your team and paying attention to that, that's going to grow as your team grows. So if you start, maybe you have a water cooler channel and you start to see people maybe posting photos of their kids or their caregivers, Mm -hmm. or maybe it's just, I don't know, a morning quote. Start to develop channels that are specifically labeled for the behavior you want to see within them. And that will give people a lot more permission because they can't see, they can't feel what experience, like what's allowed in the space. So you actually have to drive that permission with the labels of those channels and of those spaces. And then as leaders, leaders need to model that. And one of the other things I've really seen employees who come into a remote environment there's a lot of trauma that's happened in the office and then at, at work. And when they come into a remote environment where there isn't kind of swim lanes, there aren't these channels, there aren't these spaces for people to feel like they have permission to talk about certain things, they actually shut down and become really scared to communicate at all. And so it's these simple, tiny nuances of unlocking permission to be human that is incredibly important in the architecture of a virtual first workplace. I absolutely love that. That's such a great way of putting it. And even down to, it's funny how even, you know, labeling, say, a Slack channel, water cooler conversation or something like that, I imagine must have such a a flip effect, like a switch effect on companies because it's just, it is what it says on the tin. And so therefore that gives people permission. Like you said, like I, I can just picture it. It must do absolute wonders in the most simple way possible for people in that respect really does. And, you know, let's say a company is is touting that they're a people-first company, right? So mm. I remember at a company I worked at once, one of the most powerful things that somebody on my team did, I was just, it was so impressive when she did it. We had a channel that was a caregiver's channel because a lot of people who work remotely are actually caregivers, whether it's to children or parents or, you know, whatever it may be. And and that definition has a lot encompassed in it. And we set up an auto question in the channel that just said, what did you do for you this week? Like as a caregiver. And immediately all that question did, which was just popped into AI to auto populate and have people answer, was it immediately helped people feel human and seen. And it took very little effort from the company to do that. That's incredible. I, yeah, that's, I'm kind of like lost for words for how like groundbreaking that sounds and must have been for the team as well. Yeah. 
I was just thinking that also you that while we're talking about the connection and leaders leading by example, for example, with say a very specific chat and very specific questions like that. For leaders, for example, who are say used to being yeah, they've gone remote because they almost don't want to be around people necessarily physically, <laughs> or you know, they prefer having their space to themselves, but obviously now have this team that are growing or they've are working in teams and they sort of don't know how to necessarily lead by example or yeah it's not something that comes naturally to them let's put it that way what would your recommendation be for those leaders who want to build this kind of thriving economy of humans but don't necessarily how to know how to take the next step yeah I mean I think the first and really raw answer to that is going to be ask yourself if you really want to be a leader and I think that, that that's a really important distinction. And also, as we move into the future of work, you know, we think about work as a hierarchical structure. And the only way to move up is to become a manager. And I think that that's like a very archaic way of thinking. Like, why shouldn't you be able to grow out if that's not a skill set that you want? Mm. So I'll start with that. <laughs> <laughs> I just I see that happen so traditionally in so many organizations. So I think there's an organizational kind of mindset shift there. But number two, for the leaders who are in this position, like you mentioned, that do kind of have that deeper desire, I would say really start working on your relationship skills. Start understanding and looking at yourself like, what leaders in the past have showed you grace, have showed you how to be a leader, have showed you kind of support in maybe just asking you what you need to be supported? And I think that's the number one question. This is a really, you know, becoming a leader in a remote environment is number one about learning about yourself and how you work and then mirroring that and saying, wow, I might be really different than a lot of the people on my team, right? Mm. I might work in a way that I don't want to be around other people or I don't want to do these things. And I want to be very clear that like learning how to work remotely by your, like as an individual on a team is a journey in and of itself. Like I'm a very social person. It took me two years in a fully remote team as the director of remote and employee experience to give myself permission to go take a bike ride in the middle of the day, to start my day later, to start to manage my own energy. Because I grew up in the U.S. where, frankly, we're a culture of workaholics. And the fact that I now had my choice over my own environment, choice over some of my schedule, right? Of course, I need to be part of meetings. But I then had the ability to start to be like, okay, what does it feel like to maybe see if I'm better working in the morning on deep work or late in the evening. Like I, like starting to play with my own schedule was actually way harder than I thought. And so I would offer to for managers to start to become really self-aware of when they manage their energy and then ask their employees, hey, what do you, what support do you need from me? I've done this. I encourage for you to go play with this around the, like around obviously business needs, around what people need need to be there for the customers, whatever that may be, and then just having them explore. And I think that that is the number one thing that we don't talk about enough is that this assimilation process to the new world of working is an assimilation process. Like it doesn't happen like that. It's not quick. And it starts with managers discovering that about themselves. Yeah, I think that's just, I don't even think you necessarily have to be a manager for that to be a thing. I think 
no. a big misconception about like remote work in general is the fact that you just wake up one morning and know what to do. I think all of us at some point right. had to go through that. Like even down to myself, I've been technically on off remote for about 10 years, but it took me yep. really figuring out why remote. It wasn't necessarily that I wanted to not be in an office. It was the fact that like, for example, as a creative industries person, my results were so much better when I wasn't in the office because so much of my work requires deep focus, for example, that yep. in an office environment is just not productive when you've got several different people coming up to your desk going, can I have a quick chat? Or can you hop into this meeting? And you're like, my day's gone without the productive work. So I think that is such a, a big part of that, just anyone's journey in remote work. So I love that you've touched upon that. And I guess one thing also, just coming back to again, like managers, I think there's probably an element of not looking ridiculous and doing it necessarily, but you know what I mean? There's that kind of human feeling of, oh, am I going to look weird being the first person who does this in my team? Do you have any kind of advice for people who might be worried to be that? Because, you know, some people will have this impression of being like a manager or a leader has has to be a certain way and has to be, air quote, perfect. For people who are maybe worried about taking the first step, do you have any advice for that? I would just say that like everything good comes on the other side of fear and on the other side of your uncomfort zone. Mm. And I'd ask yourself, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you show, if you tell somebody that you went out to a matinee movie, like, are you going to get in trouble? You're the manager, you're leading the team. Mm. And I think just being, having courage and having courage to give yourself the permission that you desire to give to your team is a huge first step. And I'll also mention, you could also like buffer a little bit with helping your employees use the tools. So for example, if you're giving yourself permission for deep work time, does it feel safer to say, hey, I'm going to use this emoji for my team with the little brain on Slack to say that I'm in deep work time or I'm away from Mm. my computer or whatever it might be? Is that the first step that it might take for you to give yourself permission to do that, but also to give your team permission to do that because you're embedded in the tools? So that's one way I've seen people really sort of work through that fear and gain the courage to really start kind of stepping away, taking care of themselves, and then giving that permission to their team amazing i love that that's so good and I, I just feel like it's something that we're still trying to sort of understand and model and there's kind of like no one like you said before there's no one way of doing it um and so therefore i suppose in a way it's quite daunting for a lot of people because there's no kind of like definite blueprint at this point so that's really i'd say helpful Yeah, there's no definite blueprint, but that's actually what I do for companies in a lot of ways. I'll come in and say, great, how do you want to use these tools? Do you want to have deep work time? Do you want to allow deep work time? Do you like what emojis are you going to attach to certain behaviors? And then are we teaching that in onboarding? So it's not assumed because working remotely, you have to make what is implicit explicit in every Mm -hmm. single form. And so again, it comes back to these like tiny little design nuances. Like just like if you were to walk into a hotel lobby or an office lobby, if there's a couch there, you're going to know to sit on it. Mm. That doesn't exist in a virtual environment. You don't know where it's okay to relax or where it's okay to step away or these certain things unless it's codified, decided, codified, and then taught. I've kind of got a bit of a small smile on my face right now because it is so exciting. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I'm like, this is, it's actually very exciting 
the fact that it, there are, you know, we've got people like yourself coming in and starting to create these blueprints, but we're in this time now where we're literally just rewriting the whole entire rule book for what a successful team looks like right now. And I think that's, that is exciting to hear. Yeah. We're in a world of opportunity and, and it's not just the future of work or remote work. Like this is a pathway and I'm sure you and I could get really deep into this. It's, it's the future. Like remote work is all it is, is a pathway to the future of living and values-based living. Mm. Like that's it. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. For sure. Yeah. I think a lot of us now in the space are saying it's not about future of work. It's about future of life. But for sure. Just a quick kind of side note. You mentioned that you yourself are an extrovert. And I know for myself, I'd call myself an extroverted introvert. Like I still love to be around people. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ways that, because again, on like going away from people who are obviously have chosen remote work so that they can be in their own space specifically, for people who are, say, a bit more like you and a bit more like me too, how would you recommend people fill those extroverted needs with the social needs that are quite more desired, a bit more desired by extroverts? I can't find my words today. So. <laughs> That's okay. So you get what I mean. I totally get what you're asking. So, you know, what was really interesting about being at the Grow Remote Conference is, you know, we're talking a lot about Ireland becoming a destination for remote workers and strategically building communities that have shared values that attract remote workers, right? And I don't think we're there on a global scale at all, but we're seeing it happen in a lot of different communities. Ponta del Sol in Portugal, there's communities in Spain, in Malta, and and, and all over the world. And so I'll start there and say, we're going to see a lot more kind of governmental investment in communities to attract and design like for remote workers who need that social connection and and want a place to work. And so right now, like we have a few co-working spaces near where I live. And sometimes I'll go to the co-working space. Sometimes I'll go to the coffee shop. I strategically live in the place that I live in Southern California mm-hmm. because I love surfing, because it's around people who love to do the same things that I love to do. And so that one of the things that's really important for me, and that didn't come at, when I first started work, working remotely. I was living in a rural community that didn't have a lot of strategy around bringing people together. I was lonely. I was starting to feel really isolated. And so I physically moved. I physically moved to a place I knew had a community that had shared values and shared activities around what I love to do and remote work enabled that. And so I think anyone who's on that remote work journey right now, like if you're living in a place that maybe your friends don't live or it doesn't have enough community for you, one, go to your city council, go to your you know government chamber and say, hey, are you interested in attracting more workers here? remote workers, it's so good for economic development. Or if that's not of interest to you, there are a lot of places globally that do attract that type of community. So really start thinking about what it is you want in the design of your life and and know that remote work can enable you to get there. Love that. Yeah. And how did you start going about finding those communities? So for me, it all came through, um, actually through running remote. So I've been involved with running remote since 2017. So I'd, I'd recommend wow. everyone here to kind of get involved with the community there. And I just started meeting people. I started learning about governmental initiatives. I started learning about different co-working spaces. I started saying like just all of it. And so extra fun fact here, 
part of this journey is actually accelerating for myself and my husband. We are permanently immigrating to uh, Madeira Island because of the digital nomad community there and because of the shared values. And it's been crazy to see how this has just developed pretty much since 2020 in a lot of ways, these communities, but governments are waking up Mm. to this profitability market and also to just the way that digital nomads can also help communities grow. And so I would say running remote is really where I found out about them. And I I just started to be attracted to the communities that shared my interests, which are surfing, gardening, being outside and remote work. That's cool. And there's a little like kind of bit of envy in me right now that you're going to be emigrating to Madeira. It looks absolutely (laughs) incredible. So I'm excited to follow your, I'm excited to follow your adventures (laughs) there. Coming back to you and your you as a remote worker, why is being a remote worker important to you? I mean, there's a lot of reasons for me. Um, I'm actually neurodiverse. I have suffered from severe anxiety. I don't talk about it a lot, but severe anxiety and depression since I was in seventh grade. Mm. So year seven for a lot of people out there. And when I used to be in an open office, my manager would find me in the engineering corner with these three engineers who I really trusted. And I would have them put books on top of me while I was laying on the ground because I'd get so overwhelmed with being in a city and being in an office and I just Mm -hmm. couldn't get anything done. I ended up having to take medical leave because I couldn't be around things at a certain time. And so for me, it's really about controlling as much as I can my environment So I'm around things that I feel, you know, around the right therapist. I'm able to be in an environment where I can cook the right food to support like my body, to support my health. And that Mm -hmm. kind of autonomy for me is the number one thing I want in my life. Like, it's not just about going and flying off and traveling and all these places. Like, I want to do great work. Like, I I hear a lot of the time, like, people just don't want to work. Like, I think that's BS. Like, I want to work. I want to do good work. Purpose is important to me. And, like, making a difference is really, really, really important to me. But I can make more of a difference. I can do better work when I'm in in an environment that suits my style of working, that suits my brain, that suits my development. And that took a long time to learn But remote work unlocked the permission and the ability for me to be able to do that. I mean, for me, I couldn't agree more. That's literally what I was championing from, well, I was already wanting to do that, but I didn't know how to. But then it was once I figured, like, for example, even in London, the difference between my Wi-Fi at the office that I was contracted in at the time versus my house. Like, I got so much more done in three hours there you know versus what was in an office and yeah it was oh I just find it very interesting that so many of our stories are the same it was it's not about not wanting to work and I have this whole joke with people that who say that to me that I would love to do remote work uh, so I could be on the beach more and I think I say to them I think you need a vacation not like a whole lifestyle change yeah and that's okay remote work's not for everybody but it's so interesting it's not yeah and I think it's so interesting, I'd say, about how so many people in this remote life space whose literal quote-for-quote answer is, it's so that I can do better work. It's so I can produce better results. Yeah. That it's so straightforward. It's having that 
flexibility and that freedom to create better work. And yet, what we're seeing in the and we'll talk about this in a minute, but I do find it very interesting actually that still in say mainstream media, for example, the response is people don't want to work, people don't want to come back to the office. It's fascinating that that is the interpretation when actually it's like you said, it's about having a lifestyle that works for you and being able to create that. So I'm, I love that you said that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is a misconception from a lot of, I can understand if you are a founder that has kind of grown up in the society and like worked in an office mm-hmm. and kind of just seen the butts and seats for most of your career that like, it could be really scary to start hiring a remote workforce when this is the talk track, when this is what the media is saying. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that that's why it's really important. And, and I'll mention something here that I also don't see companies doing enough of right now is defining, like we mentioned before, their remote work strategy, how they work remotely, writing that down putting it in the job descriptions and then magnetizing the talent that's aligned with that. Mm -hmm. Like the amount of fucking time wasted on recruiters right now and the money wasted that companies are wasting because they haven't defined how they're working remotely. And then people are applying because it says remote, but it doesn't give them a certain amount of freedom or it does. If you, it's like a dating profile. If mm. companies started to treat their job descriptions and their employer brands like dating profiles, we're all going to be a lot happier and have a lot better matches. I love that. I, I love the idea of um, swipe left or right on opportunities as well. That that just came to mind for me. Like, <laughs> and be honest. Yeah. And be honest with me. Like, think of how many, I think of so many of my friends who've like been in relationships where they're like, I don't want kids. And then they get in the relationship and the other one's like, I want kids. And then they break up mm-hmm. after four years because they hadn't decided or made these really serious decisions beforehand. And it's like, there are not obviously you can't make every decision beforehand, but you can decide as a company and be transparent about how you're going to work. Like if you're a company that's still figuring it out, Say you're still figuring it out. Fine. That's going to attract a very agile employee. Yeah. And even down to like, uh, I think a common one that still um, seems to surface for a lot of people is what the meaning of hybrid or what the meaning of remote actually means to you. Again, so saying that you are a fully remote team. To you. To you. Yeah. I'm finding a lot of them companies still they'll say, oh, we're a fully remote team, but you must come in once a month or like once a week. And you're thinking that's not remote and, and that's okay but again don't not don't falsely advertise what you're doing for sure come and talk to Darcy and figure it out <laughs> <laughs> or even just say hey this is what hybrid means for us here mm. this is our culture and to be part of this culture and I think that that's something that we're also just again I don't think we're going to get to a place even in the next 10 years where hybrid means the same thing for mm-hmm. 10 different companies. It's going to mean different things for 10 different companies. So it's it's knowing this is who we are and we're going to own it and we need you to come in once a month. Fine. That's going to attract people that are willing to come in once a month. Great. And it's going to it's going to help people self-select out of that culture and being confident in that and then operating in that rhythm. Yeah. Amazing. I I've nothing to add. That's yeah. Might drop. Coming back to mainstream media and just sort of the general conversation that's kind of, a, I, say, I say probably a bit more publicly broadcasted on in like, you know, newspapers and uh, more of the mainstream media, I guess. 
there seems to be a few more and I guess there has been since we ended lockdown right there seems to still be quite a big conversation around how people want uh, people to come back to the office or now there seems to be a whole conversation around people apparently discovering that actually the digital nomad lifestyle or the remote work lifestyle is not what they expected based off of air quote again social media and so they're starting to say burn out from this do you have any advice for people who are perhaps um, experiencing burnout now or like for example you said you mentioned about your mental health like how would you go about advising people managing that well I think number one there is that misconception that like it is just all on the beach and you're just chilling like I work really hard, but that took a really long time to, again, understand my rhythm. And so I think that, like, being really realistic and just learning from what hasn't worked for you. And one of my favorite exercises is both in companies and for burnout, like, it's, it's for employers and employees, is start, stop, continue. What are, or sorry, stop, start, continue. What do I want to stop doing? What do I want to start doing? And what do I want to continue doing? And taking inventory of the last year, the last two years, even since 2020, like what are the things that haven't worked? What are the things that you want to try? And what are the things that you want to continue doing? And I think that is a really good starting point to give people some inventory in the path ahead based on just taking note of their experience so far. And again, like there's no shame in that. And I want to say for digital nomads that like it hasn't worked out for them. Like there's no shame in deciding that that's not the lifestyle you want. Like you get to be you and you're the only one that gets to be you. Like that's awesome. And you get to decide what that is. And we're in a space right now where it's like choice is so overwhelming. Just coming back to who you are, coming back to your own experiences and deciding where you want to go from there. That's awesome. Yeah, I think... Because it's so, it's so funny, isn't it? It kind of seems to have, well, generally for our, like, I'd say a society, it's kind of always told us we've got to do things one way. Then here we come along with this whole new way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of like a, oh, I'm not doing it right from, say, like this influencer, for example, on social media. So therefore I must be a failure. Or no, actually, right. it's all about, again, I suppose, how does it work for you and how do you design it for you, which can be daunting, but very exciting again. So it, it sounds like just figure it out for you. Figuring it out for you. And and I also come from like, I've, I've been in therapy most of my life. And so this may be new to some people, mm-hmm. but it's also very somatic. So I'd ask people to like, feel what's in your body when you think about certain things. Like, does your body, like when, when people ask me to come into like a corporate office, like my body physically reacts to that. Like I kind of type, mm-hmm. I, I tense up and I become really aware of that. And I'm like, okay, what's this feeling? Is it trauma from a past office? Why do I not want to go in? Like, what are the things that are making my body feel that way? And just just explore. Like, there's no harm in exploring how you uniquely react to things. I think that's such an important thing to think of. But it's funny when you said about what does the idea of going into an office like feel like in my body? I literally had the exact same reaction. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. what? <laughs> not for me. <laughs> and it's also like, it's not even about going to the office. It's about going, for me, it's about going into a space of what the office used to mean to me. Yeah. 
Like I'm working in an, a, my friend's office right now in Northern Ireland, like the, it, but it's different, right? Like mm. it's a different concept of what the office used to mean to me translated in a different way. Absolutely. And it's funny, even the, the word office has such different connotation versus then like when I think, no, actually I'd really enjoy, for example, going to co-working spaces or co-living spaces. I actually really enjoy it. Yeah. But then if you were say, to say to me, going into the office, yeah, that automatically again makes my stomach kind of go, well, <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. It's like, what kind of office do you mean? Yeah. Define it for me. Why did we create a show that lasts for like 20 seasons? That was how ridiculous the office was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think uh, there was um, one co-living space, a uh, co-working space that I went to in Mexico city last year. And it has like, it was just pink or a pastel pink on the out, like entire inside and had like a whole wall with like unicorn emoji wallpaper. I was like, that's my kind of office. (laughs) Bright, colourful. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So talking about like your office style, if you will, and how you like to work and what a day-to-day looks like for you. Talk us through what, say, a day-to-day might look like for you. Yeah. So for me, I would say I have about, and and psychologists will confirm this, about six hours of deep work in me a day. I tend to work about a seven hour day on average. And I've designed my week in a way, and this is different because I do work for myself. um, And so it's a little different now that I don't have to have like consistent I do have consistent meetings every week with mentors and, and certain clients, but it's a little different than I think having to be like customer dependent in a company. And so I, I will say, you know, obviously work around the schedule that is needed for the business results of the company that you're working for or working for yourself. And some weeks are going to be different than other weeks for me. For example, I was speaking at Grow Remote last week. And so I worked straight for eight days, practicing my presentation, making sure I was on point, And then I took a few extra days off on the other end of it. So again, it really fluxes, but I like to bucket my days. So Mondays are me Mondays. That's what I call them. I I don't schedule any meetings on Mondays. I take a Portuguese lesson. I get clear out my inbox in my email. I do all of my LinkedIn kind of scheduling for the week. I just kind of take that day to get super grounded and strategize. So I set myself and my clients up for success the rest of the week. Um, if I need to hop on a call, I will. It's not the end of the world, but it's just not a day that I use for kind of deep connection or for a lot of kind of deep, deep work. It's a more admin-y. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, I do client days. So I'm working with clients. I'm getting a lot of work done. My mornings, usually, so I'm jumping all over the place. My mornings always start with breath work and meditation. That's a non-negotiable for me. A dog walk, a little bit of getting outside. And then I'll usually jump into work around 9, 9.30 a.m. And I'll usually wrap up around 4-ish. I hit a wall. I tend to hit a wall around 2.30 in the afternoon. And I know that about myself. And so I know that taking meetings after that time that I need my brain to be on, it's just not going to be the best for anybody. Um, And so I just, again, kind of schedule myself around the times that I know that I'm going to be a lot more energized. It's so funny. Um, Me and them, another uh, podcast guest, were talking about this, how to that the middle of the afternoon just doesn't seem to be a, a thing or a, a useful time for a lot of us. It's like the, the, that part of the day, we're just useless to the world. So my, that's why like remote work is so great because then you can take time out when your brain literally isn't working yeah. and come back to it when you're ready. Yeah. I love that that's a thing. And sometimes like I'm a pretty 
like I'm actually quite a night owl and I'm not a morning person. Right. And I'll get really good ideas at like 10 PM and whip out my computer and start working and start writing. And then I'll write some of my best blogs or articles like at 10 PM with my dog at my feet. And that you think about culturally too, right? You think about Spain, you think about Portugal, you think a lot of cultures that just Mm -hmm. shut down between three and seven or two and seven because we need a nap, right? Like my brain, after I've been working all day, like I'm not, usually won't go take a nap at 2 p.m. I actually can't nap. I'm terrible at it, but I'm just, I'm absolutely useless to the world. And then I'll jump back in the next morning and I'll get 10 times as much done as I would have when I'm just forcing myself to sit in an office and let the two to five hours pass. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't agree more. Well, Darcy, I have one last question to ask you. Fill in the blank. Home is where? Where my dog and my husband are. Love it. Adorable. Amazing. Darcy, thank you so much for being on The Remote Live. It's been great to chat. Awesome. Thank you, Han. This is awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Remote Life. And thank you, Darcy, for taking the time to speak with us. You can find links to Darcy's profiles below. Thank you so much again for listening. And we can't wait to remote work with you again soon.